Are rising gasoline prices nudging us toward a brave new world? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. All right, we are going to dive off of this one. It's a headline from today's Wall Street Journal. Big front page above the fold, as they say. Soaring gasoline prices start to cut into customer demand. Now, that is true. This is true. It's a true story. But why are gasoline prices soaring and why does it matter to us? It's not just the day-to-day, the spending decisions that we have to make based on higher fuel costs. It has a universal effect on decision-making. It's basically a systemic shock, and that's going to really disrupt how the economy works if it were to be a prolonged situation. Now, I think that the reason this is happening is that they have agenda items that they want to push based on how behavior changes from shocks like this, particularly when it comes to fossil fuels. This isn't going to be news to anybody. They want us to move away from that. The whole climate agenda is about that. I personally think there's a few reasons for it or at least possibilities. One is that fossil fuels are such a tremendous source of wealth and freedom for us that that's a problem. They want to shut down lockdown. Also, Russia and China really benefit from, or to the extent that they have an alliance, to the extent that China controls Central Asia and Russia controls its own fossil fuel, if you call it that. I don't think that's even what they are, but this kind of energy that it gives them a lot of power and money in the world if the world runs on that. So I think the powers that be on the West want to move away from that for a variety of reasons. And I think that they're doing it this way right now. Possibly, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here and I'm going to get into them. But just to give you the punchline first, I think this may in part be a little bit of a test to see how this kind of Uh, energy price increase, gasoline price increase, will affect our behavior in a world where we now have a very robust telecommuting option. So we didn't used to have a substitute. And I always said, stop your wars for oil. Stop subsidizing infrastructure. If you're an environmentalist, all we need to do, stop even subsidizing interest rates. Don't depress interest rates because it it causes hyperactivity in the in the economy, which consumes fossil fuels. So first, do no harm. Like just look at what the policies have been that have promoted excessive fossil fuel use, and it's all those subsidies. It's having wars for oil, having infrastructure, having depressed interest rates. You you would have a sustainable world if you stop juicing it all the time. But that's not how they control things. That's not what they want. And I feel like this could be an experiment that they can see if they can make, you know, maybe they didn't want dribs and drabs of telecommuting. Maybe they didn't want the kind of natural economic adjustment that labor and capital make to technological changes, to technological advancements. They like these things to be abrupt. They want to control them. Maybe they didn't want it to happen until they could completely control it. Kind of like McAfee had antivirus stuff. It doesn't give you much of an excuse to go in and put controls down. But now they're like, oh, cyber attacks needs a government-based control. And that's, I mean, if to the extent that if McAfee's really gone, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the reason. So these things, these are patterns to me that I see. And it's funny because I was on a great podcast. I I don't know if it's out yet, but it was Counterflow with Buck Johnson. And um, we were talking about, he's like, do you think there's going to be another lockdown? And I said, you know, he said, it's actually happened in other countries already. And I said, I don't, 
necessarily, I don't know, maybe, but I don't necessarily think that we're going to have a lockdown per se, but they're going to nudge us into that by making airplane travel horrible or less accessible or more expensive, by making gas prices too high, by making telecommuting easier. They do all these things and then they set off these shocks that push you, nudge you, as Cass Sunstein would say, into a whole different way of living. And if they can do it to everyone at once, they can get where they want. So, and I actually heard today that Schools are doing like Zoom Fridays and and workers, this is a continuing pattern, but all of these things are just shifts that are being encouraged by the all the different policies, all these perfect storms all get everyone to move in one direction. So there's more remote working and they're saying because of gasoline prices. But I saw this coming, this particular thing. I was like, as soon as the Zoom, as soon as they get the Zoom thing down, all they need to do is raise gas prices to get people to keep doing it. And at least on the margin, like so, there will be some impact, not everybody, but some impact. And that's what they're going for. And like an example. So when we were talking about whether they would lock us down or I was saying they would nudge after the show, I, I hadn't mentioned this, but I thought about it after. Do you remember all those legislative pushes of CISPA and SOPA? They were like the surveillance and censorship legislation that they were trying so hard to push through Congress. But then like one day, well, the Internet companies just like blacked out the Internet and they were against it. So you haven't heard from that again. Like they don't talk about that. But what you do hear a lot about are these false flags where people are radicalized online and then you get emergency measures and you get executive orders. I call it a crisis policy or crisis government, government by crisis. They just couldn't get the normal legislative process to work. So they give you a shock. They give you a scare. They change your behavior and then they backdoor legislation after it's a fact. And it was funny because like the Kavanaugh thing was like that. Uh, they were trying to push through this weird like protection, I would say it's quite possibly surveillance of Supreme Court justices and they couldn't get it through. So they there was an attack on Kavanaugh's house. Like you can just see they, they can't get stuff through and they create these problems. And I think this may be an example of that. It's kind of legislation by other means, <laughs> you know, false flags, legislation by other means. So I feel like they are clearly trying to nudge us in this other direction. They don't have to give us like overt lockdowns. It's probably better if they're not overt. So it feels like you are consenting that manufacturing consent, which we also talked about. I also talked about with Buck. And I mean, obviously a big part of the move away from fossil fuels, and you know, it's not about the environment because these electric cars are driven by batteries that have a lot of questionable practices, ingredients <laughs> that to get to those those batteries in the electric cars that are not environmentally friendly, yet they do it. And but that all goes to the guns, gold in a getaway thing like they can lock you down by just shutting down electric cars that you don't even own. Driverless electric cars will not be in your driveway. They will be just circling. You won't even have a driveway. <laughs> so they don't have to tell you there's a lockdown. They can just shut it down like they're doing power outages. That's what's happening. That's the actual thing that's happening. So I feel like that's what this is all pointing to. But what annoyed me about these articles was that they all say that Russia, Ukraine, like that's the problem. And I just didn't really believe that. I just I couldn't. 
see that really, I'll tell you what really makes me smell a rat with that stuff is you can see, I've always noticed this, like crude oil prices go way, way up or way, way down. When they go up, gasoline prices go with them. When they come down, gasoline prices never reset all the way down to where they were before. It's like crisis and Leviathan, that great Bob Higgs notion and book. So the government expands in the face of a crisis. And when the crisis uh, resolves, government recedes, but never all the way back. That's the way I feel like gasoline prices are with crude oil shocks. And I just, I didn't know if there's any reason for that. And I think I stumbled upon the reason. Uh, so I, I first looked at the magnitude of Russian oil supply as a contributor to world oil supply. So maybe there's like 90. It's weird because there are different types of oil. It costs different. Um, there are different ways to measure. And it was very hard to piece together the stats from without like subscribing to energy news, you know, which the industry rags, like they cost real money. So I couldn't do any of that. So I just tried to figure it out, but say it's like 90 or 100 million barrels a day that the world uses. I think the U.S. maybe uses 20 million barrels a day. So in this, a few random sampling of articles about the impact of Russia, of the Ukraine war and sanctions or interfering with transportation or all the stuff that happened, that, inter that they're blaming Russia for the crude oil prices or for the gasoline price hikes. That's what's really, that's, that's a clue to where I'm headed that that's a, a false correlation. But I think like the, initially it was, it was interrupting 3 million barrels a day. Then I saw it was down to 1 million barrels a day coming out of Russia. And we're, uh, the rest of the world seems to be making up most, if not all of that. And just to give you a sense of uh, the magnitude of all this, Russia, the U.S., and Saudi Arabia, not in that order, I think it's U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Russia, are the largest oil producers in the world. So, And they approach, I think Russia is like 11 million barrels a day total, Saudi Arabia might be 12 or 13, and the U.S., I think, maybe 17. Just I'm doing it from memory. But I think it's around that, and our usage is around 20. So I don't know if we're strictly energy independent right at this moment, but we basically are, and we could be if we wanted to be. And our strategic reserves, which I think they tapped into like 180 million, I think that was approved barrels. I think we have over 700 million barrels. So to the extent we're just talking about a million barrels a day, you could do that for a couple of years, but you won't even have to because this is like a seasonal demand peak and and um, all of that. So it doesn't seem like crude is the issue. And then there's also the, the fact that crude oil prices are backing down. I actually dug into that whole thing. I'm thinking like crude oil prices and gasoline prices, like how correlated are they? And there are lags in like the crude price versus how the gasoline price flows. There are lags. So I was looking at this and I noticed that I just did a little calculation that in 1990, crude, I just, I, I did find like a long-term chart and I just randomly picked moments in time. I didn't look for peaks or troughs or anything. I just tried to pick one random data set for every year, uh, every like 10 years, five years, I don't know what. So I, so I looked at, I did a whole bunch of numbers and this is, these, this is how I think is the easiest to explain what I came up with. In 1990, crude was, on this one given day, $38 a barrel, and gasoline was $0.91 cents a gallon. 1990, this is. 
today, like today, <laughs> so this is again, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, again, these numbers move a lot. So today, I think they were saying gasoline prices were $5 on average. The stat I pulled was from maybe a month or so ago. Crude was $121 a barrel, and the price of gasoline was, average price was $4.08. So it was 38 versus 91 cents and 121 versus 408. So I just did some math and said, well, if that, the relationship that held in 1990 held today, if we had crude prices of 121, what what should the gasoline price be if the old relationship held? And that price it would be $2.90. So there's a whole like dollar 20 more that isn't explained by just crude prices. There's something about that relationship that's changing. And what it is is there is a 40, and, and this isn't like news to anyone who knows anything about this. I'm sure they already knew this, but like, I'm just a guy or a gal who reads the Wall Street Journal and tries to like be an educated voter, even though I don't really believe in voting. <laughs> but like, that's, that was the premise I always brought to like radio. I just thought the people who are listening are voters and I have every right to approach these topics as a voter. And so I'm no expert. I did have a banking job once in energy, but that was a very long time ago, probably when <laughs> there was a lot more refining capacity, because that's the punchline here, is that there's a 40-year trend from 1982 to today where refining capacity is going way down. So in 1982, there were 301 refineries in the U.S. Now, or in 2021, there were 129 and that's a massive decline. And a, a lot of these are old. So it's not like, oh, they're like 10 times the size. And the ownership is consolidated. So they're controlled by the same thing. I think Saudi Arabia is the number one owner of refining capacity in North America. So, and I read this great uh, article and, I'm, and I'm, it seemed like a left-leaning thing website, The American Prospect, but it was a really good article. And it talked about what really goes on there. There's a lot of collusion. It really helps the refiners, like the restricted supply really goes straight into the refiners' pockets. So they are basically going at maximum capacity, maximum utilization of a, of a like a steadily declining capacity. And they get to keep all the profits here because the supply is lower than demand. It really pushes the prices up. So when Biden said he wanted to have a tax holiday of 18 cents, that only works if refiners are sitting on supply and they can increase supply to meet the lower prices. But it, if they are already maxing out supply and people are paying $5 a gallon, people are going to keep paying $5 a gallon for that amount of oil. And if if that $5 isn't for 80 two plus 18 cents of tax, if the tax plus is zero, then it's just going to be $5 anyway, and it's all going to go to the refiners. Now, the refiners might not do that because optically it would look bad, but the way that gasoline prices fluctuate all the time, it would be very hard to figure out what was going on there and if they were passing through the prices like in real time. And if they accuse the refiners of not passing through the prices, then you get the 70s style price controls that I think they've kind of been trying to get to. And I think these are all stepping stones. And I'll get to the punchline about that. Please, I would like to say, remind me not to forget, but <laughs> this is not a call-in show. Um, okay, so 
All right, so I actually will tell you the punchline. So I think that there's a chance if that 70s pattern holds that they are going to, I mean, this would just be a pattern hold, held, right? Like, so you had the 70s style stagflation, you had an oil crisis that was totally spurred by an arcane, which I always have to look up, is like hard to understand, system of price controls of the oil, of gasoline prices. And then, and you had like all these problems and it was, if that's where you want to go, what happened? You went from Carter, who is considered like a milk toast Democrat, to Reagan, who was a baller. And uh, and I just think they may be, if you really wanted to get abstract, be teeing this all up for DeSantis to slide in the Reagan kind of mold for this pattern. I just, I don't know. I mean, they like to repeat patterns. So why are refineries declining like that? And um, from so I've been doing a lot of reading on this, and it seems to me like the the mainstream media will give you a lot of a lot of blather on why, and it, there's like it's the pandemic, it's the pandemic. I'm like, yeah, it might be the pandemic, but why? Like so during the pandemic, things shut down, and in so this is I'll just give you what I think the upshot is. So yes, it did change in the pandemic, but this is a long term trend, and what like just observing how businesses acted during the pandemic, what they did was they did. They made capital investments or long overdue projects, maintenance projects, stuff like that. A lot of companies did that. So what did the refiners do? It seems like they made some choices. They shuttered anything they were going to shutter like over the next five years or however. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know how many years. But they just shuttered a bunch of stuff that maybe would have gone offline gradually over time. They just shuttered it and they're like, we're not opening this back up again. And then some of them, a kind of fair amount of them, they converted to this green stuff like biodiesel and all that. They're like in the process of converting it. And also, as they didn't really need this stuff, they they wouldn't didn't necessarily put a lot into maintaining older plants that weren't going to convert to a new world. So it's kind of abrupt that they made some changes all at once that they might not otherwise have done. So it could have kind of front end loaded a lot of these refinery closures. But with rising interest rates, you're not going to get more maintenance. You're going to get less. And with a more consolidated refining um, structure in the industry, if you get a weather event and you close down one refinery, it's like the baby formula shortage. When you have a lot of consolidation in the production end, and you lose a plant, it's going to have a bigger impact. And so that's why I think, like, definitely over the summer, I mean, I know we've seen it in the past, but I think that we may have a big old weather event that closes some refineries. So just as these prices start catching um, a break, I bet there's a like a hurricane or something that pumps them back up because just as the baby formula is coming back online, there was a flood that brought, brought it back down again. Just, I, you know, they, they notice patterns. I can notice patterns, too. So I feel like there's a lot of that. They they I think they say they're at the lowest refinery capacity in eight years. And the official excuse from the industry experts is that they have weaker future demand forecasts and they feel like there's going to be more need for green energy. So I think that these guys, when they're talking to each other, seem to be pointing at that. Uh, so they do say that they're at full tilt uh, utilization wise. So I don't think anything Biden could do to get, could get supplies up. And they cite, and some of these industry things, they say that I guess Chinese refining is down because of the lockdowns. They're still doing the COVID stuff. So 
I mean, China is probably, that sounds like more of a factor than Russian because crude is not really, doesn't seem to be the big problem here. Refining capacity seems to be the big problem. And what I read about commodities and the fossil fuels and stuff, remember we talked about commodities in the perfect storm episode I did last, my last deep dive? The they it seems like in these resources, I used to work in a department called um, petroleum metals and mining. So they all kind of go together. And it seems like throughout those related industries, they thought that the green transition would be more gradual and that the fall off in demand after the pandemic wouldn't come back up so soon. And they did like uh, were surprised by how demand resurged. And again, like I thought that was kind of hopeful, but whereas the commodity, yeah, the commodity people are doing the same thing, right? Didn't we say that they were kind of backing off? They weren't over-investing. They don't want to, you know, these are very long-term investments, so they're not going to over-invest in the short run if they see the trend as um, being of lower demand going forward. So there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables. It's nothing's written in stone, but I feel like what they're telling us about this being all about Russia is definitely not true. And if they really wanted to hurt Russia, they would make sure prices were lower, not higher. That's what hurts Russia, is when the bottom falls out of the oil price, that hurts Russia. So if they wanted to hurt Russia, they should have gotten Saudi Arabia on board to just flood the world with crude. They should have, they called Venezuela, but like Venezuela is going to help? I doubt it. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe it's totally separate from their politics, but Saudi Arabia should be in our pocket. So they should be willing to do what we want. And that's why I think they might would be willing to do what they want. So this isn't really about Russia in the short run. It's in the long run, maybe, if you want us to move away from fossil fuels because you don't want Russia and China to be in the pole position. But uh, I think that the increase in prices is was foreseeable and uh, maybe exacerbated by some of our sanctions and stuff, but it's really about refining capacity. But I mean, ultimately, it's also about our behavior. So when I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal, it was just chock full of all these like emotional appeals, like this trucker can't get enough loads to get home, so he has to deadhead, and that would have been okay, except for the prices are too high, and um, with all this inflation and wages not keeping up, nobody can afford the gas. And I'm thinking, didn't, <laughs> didn't, wasn't like yesterday's paper all about the labor shortage. I mean, wasn't didn't I think I had three articles about the labor shortage and uh, increasing wages and the great packages that people are getting and and it one one of them actually highlighted truckers, I think. And Lord knows I hear enough like uh truckers, we will, you know, we will give you a harem of women and peel grapes for you if you only work for us commercials on Fox headlines. So I just I feel like they have to get their story straight, and they're not. And it's very clear that this story was meant to make people feel really emotional and uh, and that this entire phenomenon is really about behavior and our reaction. So that's my two cents, my take on the gasoline prices. I guess my takeaway is that they are, I think this is probably first and foremost a test to see how we're behaving. I think it's a bad sign because I believe that the refinery capacity is not is not coming back and I and I see the World Economic Forum and they're kind of getting all the corporations on board with the ESG stuff and pushing towards this green thing that 
they're basically speaking into existence this change in the world that that will have an impact on our liberty and that we don't move around. You need the guns gold in the getaway, but also on our discretionary income, which really goes to liberty. I mean, they are very determined not to allow us to have surplus wealth and the power and freedom that gives us to even just at our leisure, understand these issues more and like go Ron Paul, like, uh, you know, Mr. Paul goes to Washington, Dr. Paul goes to Washington. So I think that that, that that is part of their thing. I am heartened that people are still taking their vacations and and buying this, buying the gas. That's why I really don't like price controls because you're still paying the cost. But the cost, when you have price controls, those those refiners are going to just build up their inventories. They have very low inventories right now, and they can just stockpile. They do not have to bring all of it to market, but apparently they are. Uh, so if you have price controls, though, they can change the supply for the worse, and that changes the cost from paying, which I like to do, to waiting online, which I do not like to do. And that actually probably would have more of an impact on shutting people down. I think most people... You know, time is money and it's not five bucks an hour. It's a lot more than that. So I feel like that is something that they're probably considering or they would hope if they can get, if they can really get people emotional about it, that they'll bring in price controls. But don't be fooled. Price controls are a nightmare. You want to have supply and be able to choose if it's worth paying for. So that's that's my analysis. I hope that it was interesting and helpful. I want to give you a few uh, little administrative things. Ism Camp wants you to meet up at the Robbie the Fire Show in Fayetteville, Georgia on Sunday, July 17th. The link is in the show notes. And oh my gosh, people are totally confused about something that... Uh, so if you listen to my show, my last show, you might recall that I started a new RSS feed, Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm putting all my content there and only my content there. It's going to be commercial free until August 1st, but apparently this announcement caused mass confusion. <laughs> I got a lot of emails, so let me clarify. Binkley and I found it was more complicated than we thought to just split the propaganda report feed. We had to coordinate schedules. We don't want to step on each other. We parse ad revenue. Patrons were getting his stuff in the XR feed then having to sort through the free DNBs to find my deep dives. So I am going to keep posting on the prop report uh, feed Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5 a.m. as I have been. But I'm going to put all of those shows on deep dives with Monica Perez. And I'm going to put a few bonus shows. I'm going to make it all commercial free until August 1st just to compensate people for the inconvenience. And as for Patreon, similarly, it was just too complicated to share. So, and I'm not generating any premium content right now. It's all Binkley. Uh, He does all the Patreon stuff, the XRs, the DPVs, the Zoom parties, they're all him. And for that reason, he's getting 100% of the contributions there. So, and that's the way it should be because he's doing all the work. But if you do want to support me, because I do have significant production costs and the ads don't fully cover that, but if you'd like to contribute, if you like what I'm doing, please do go to thepropreport.com slash donate and donate there because I will get, this. so this is really how we split things up, I will get 100% of those donations and Binkley gets 100% of Patreon. So, and also if you want to talk to me, you can message me on thepropreport.com. I have a little feature like that there. I'm going to probably redo that website too and just kind of make it my home because I think it'll be a nice place for us to um, continue 
communicating as a community. So hopefully that's helpful. I'll probably have to continue to clarify over time. But um, for now, I, I hope that that's interesting to you or whatever, easy enough to, to navigate. Check me out on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez. Show.